recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia on Talk Show. It is Friday, August 3rd, my deadline date at my former internet service provider. Friday, August 3rd, 2012. As um, many of you know, and as I've said many times, I, I've taken a trip. I, I started out with um, Pastors Mark Downey and Don Elmore in Kentucky back on May 30th, and my trip was supposed to end... I think on June 29th, and it ended a few days prematurely. I, I was fortunate. I'm a blessed man. I was fortunate enough to, to be able to um, spend time in the homes of some of the finest Christian people in the world. I am truly blessed for that. And I believe Yahweh saved the best for me for last when I met Melissa Epperson. And I thank him for that, too. That's all I'll say about that. I um I was supposed to send f- spend five days with Matthew Ott, and I was cut short last week, and I owe his son Josh a few days of my time. I feel bad that I had to leave, but I had to come home and address a 10-day shutdown notice from my Internet service provider. So the... um. Allegedly, uh, and, and I spoke about this at length last week, allegedly I violated their terms of service, which is a lie. And the past week I have had to, um, well, well, I've had to purchase five new Internet servers at, at three different Internet service providers this time. So I have five new servers, and almost all of the Christagenia sites are moved, and none of them are down except for Christagenos.net, which runs a... Um, it runs a mailing list for me. It's something that people don't see. It operates behind the scenes. And it, um, it runs one of my streaming radio stations. Christagenia usually operates three streaming radio stations. It happens to run the streaming radio that I do, that I use for these programs. And, and it's off tonight, and I won't be able to. The audio tonight is limited to talk shoe because Christagenos.net is down. Christagenos.net is down because one service provider has not come through with the server that was supposed to be here two days ago and, and is already paid for, and, and I don't have it delivered yet. So I don't know how long I'm going to stay with that company. That's just the way it happens, right? I, I mean, I have, I have um, this past week, I've distributed Christagenia.org across three different Internet service providers. It will be distributed across five different servers. I've separated my domain name registration, my internet service, my servers, and my DNS, my, my domain name lookup services. I've separated all that across different companies. I'm going to spread Christagenia across the internet. Uh, over the next several months, I hope to um, pick up smaller virtual private servers and put chunks of Christagenia everywhere so that the ADL will have to chase 100 service providers to shut me down. They're not going to do it. Eventually, I hope, and, and we still have this planned, we will be our own Internet service provider. But in the meantime, I'm going to make it more and more difficult for the ADL to shut me down. Yahweh, 
Yahweh willing, that will not happen. So kinsmanredeemer.org, Mark Downey's website, which I host, that's up. It never went down. It's safe and sound on a new server. So is um, Pastor Don Elmore's site and Clifton's site and the rest of the Christogenia subdomains. I'm having a few kind of silly minor technical glitches. I'll get them worked out. I just ran out of time this week. I can't open the Christogenia chat. Right now, Christogenia.org is a read-only site because I can't log into it. And it's a, it's, it has to be an Apache error or, or, or a, um, a DNS problem or something. I'll figure it out. And, and oddly, the problem doesn't affect the, the Mein Kampf project or the Saxon Messenger project or, or any of my subdomains. For some reason, it only affects my main domain. So people cannot get into the Christogenia chat for this program. That's my top priority is to get logged into Christogenia.org so that I could edit my own website and post these programs and post my schedules and, and anything else I may do. So, so that's important to me, but at least the site is not down, and they're not going to shut it down. It's just not going to happen. If they, if they go after my new Internet provider, I'll have another server somewhere else next week that I could just move it to. And I could move it now. Now that, I'm, now that I have many servers across, in many different places and with several different companies, now I could move the site in an hour. I could move my website in an hour or less. I could really, use a, I could really move a, um, a content management system in about 10 minutes if I had to, plus the time it takes to SSH the files. So, so we're going to stay up and running. Last week, I made an appeal for some help with funding. And a lot of good people responded very positively. And I thank them all for that. Tonight, well, well let me say first that next week, I hope to be back on track with my Luke presentation. I hope to be doing Luke chapter 10 here next week. Most of the technical work I have, except for the glitches and a couple, and, and that one last server, are on it away. That's really only a half day's work. And, and, well, the technical glitches, you know how they are. I mean, I could beat my head against the wall for two days and then find out that it's something stupid that's been hampering my progress, right? That's usually the way that tech stuff works. But I'll get it figured out. That the, um, the last server that has to be set up is only a couple hours' work, and then my third stream, Christogenos.net and John844.org, will be put back together again. It, it's just a matter of getting the hardware. So, sometimes um, companies offer you two-day setup or, or one-day setup in a sales pitch, and, and the reality doesn't work out that way, right? That's just the way it is. Tonight I'm going to address... Um, a letter I got, I got this letter, this letter, this is an article put out by Ted Pike. It was dated June 18, 2012. The title of this is, Is Christian Identity True? I think I was sitting in Panama City, and somebody sent me this. Actually, about four different people sent me this and asked me to address it. And when I read it, I'm like, this, this is garbage. This letter is garbage. I'm going to address it, but it, it's, um, 
wow, is this some Judeo-Christian trash? This man is, is basically attacking Christian identity for no reason whatsoever except to defend Jews because that's what this letter is doing. So, so I was asked by several different people to address this, and I was going to address it in writing, and, and I'm just too busy to do that. So I decided to address it in this program, especially since with all the tech work I've been doing, keeping my websites up and running. I haven't had much time to write anything, right? Or, or to prepare my programs the way that I'm accustomed to doing. We'll get back into that crew shortly, and, and um, I'll be working on my loop presentations again real soon here. Praise Yahweh. In a message dated June 27, 2012, I wrote the following to Ted Pike in response to his article, Is Christian Identity True? Dear Ted, is Christian identity true? Of course it is. So why do you resist the truth with your lies? I would invite you to a friendly discussion on this matter any time you would like to have it. Your scriptural exegesis is severely wanting, and you are in dire need of some real edification. I am the author of the world's largest most scholarly, I pray, and, and most comprehensive Christian identity website. And in fact, and, and I'm bragging a little here, right, but I don't mind it. And in fact, my Alexa site ranking is higher than the ranking for your own website. And it is. The Alexa site rankings and the traffic for Christagenia.org are much higher than Ted Pike's truthtellers.org. I went on to tell him, if you decline a discussion, I will pick apart your latest folly. Your article, Is Christian Identity True? Without you. The article is filled with inaccurate statements about the Bible and history. And I signed it with my name and my website. Well, I didn't get a response from Ted Pike. I really didn't expect one. I mean, my attitude was at least slightly cavalier. I don't mind bragging. I just wanted to show him that that um, I didn't think so highly of him. A lot of people on the Christian right do think highly of Ted Pike. Honestly, I've never read the man's work. I don't know why. I, I, I've been on his mailing list for some time. I never put myself on his mailing list. I don't know how I ended up on his mailing list. But I've been there for quite some time, and, and probably three years. I, I, I remember it being... Pretty early when I saw, started seeing Ted Pike's name, and, and um, yeah, you know that it. I, I always felt that his content was the the stuff that you would get from the average um, member of the neocon conservative right. Except that he is um, he he does have an anti-Zionist tenor to his writing. He 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 does recognize that the Zionists are um, are a problem and, and a threat to our national health. So that might be to his credit, but that's as far as he goes. Aside from that, he's basically as much a worshiper of the damned Jews as any other Judeo-Christian. What Ted Pike doesn't understand is that long before we had Zionism, long before we had Theodore Herzl, we had a Jewish problem. 
We've only had a Zionist problem for 150 years. We've had a Jewish problem for 7,000 years. Except that they weren't always known as Jews. They were known as Canaanites. They were known as Kenites. They were known as Edomites. They were known by a lot of names. They weren't always known as Jews. Of course, Ted Pike denies that. I'm going to read Ted Pike's article, and I'm going to respond to portions of it. Is Christian Identity True by Reverend Ted Pike, 18th of June, 2012. And Mr. Pike goes on to say, the modern Christian identity movement pervades the anti-Zionist, and yeah, I'll pronounce it Zionist, I won't pronounce it Zionist, the anti-Zionist right. Many of my readers, meaning Pike's readers, support it. They believe most whites of Western European heritage are actually Semites, good for them, descended from the lost 10 tribes of Israel. I would say they've descended from the lost 12 tribes of Israel, right? They hope. I will come to believe Israelite Western nations continue the mandate given the Hebrews to be a racially pure and spiritually cohesive people united to hold back the forces of darkness. I would say that we're probably, it, it's our destiny to resist the forces of darkness, that, that's for sure. Going on to quote Pike, I have built my case against Talmudic Judaism step by step on solid history and documentation, usually from primary Jewish sources. But let me say that Ted Pike is not doing anything unique here, right? That there are, I mean, the Reverend I.B. Pernitus, the Talmud Unmasked, and Elizabeth Dilling. Elizabeth Dilling has several books exposing. Talmudic Judaism. I mean, people have been doing this for a long time before Ted Pike. He's not doing anything unique here. And, and um, I'm sure that they have probably done at least as good a job as Ted has. I have not found similar evidence for the identity hypothesis. That, that, now, now, what the hell does the identity hypothesis have to do with Talmudic Judaism is beyond me. He's saying that he's built a case against Talmudic Judaism and has not found similar evidence for the identity hypothesis. The, I mean, he's talking apples and oranges there. I can't understand the correlation at all. I'll continue quoting him. The evidence, in fact, persuades me that the identity movement is based on conjecture and wishful thinking, not hard facts. I've got news for you, Ted. I've got an awful lot of essays on my website that you should read. To continue quoting Ted Pike, here are my main problems with identity. In 722 BC, the Assyrians deported the apostate northern ten tribes of Israel into captivity and dispersion within the Assyrian Empire. Well, that's true. It continued until about 676 BC. Because of their unprecedented wickedness, God always portrayed judgment. This is where Pike really goes off course. He really should read his Old Testament. He says, God always portrayed judgment on the northern ten tribes as being irremediable. I'm sorry, I really butchered that word, didn't I? Irremediable and inconclusive. Yet according to identity, Pike says, in the succeeding centuries the dispersed Israelites migrated into Western Europe. So Pike says that God always portrayed judgment on the northern ten tribes as 
irremediable and conclusive. In other words, Ted Pike is asserting that there's no coming back for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep of the house of Israel are first mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 34. My sheep have wandered over every mountain. Christ said he came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a clear correlation in scripture between Ezekiel chapter 34 and Christ's words in Matthew chapter 15. Let's see what Isaiah has to say about it. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 is written, the last 25 chapters of the book of Isaiah are written to the people in the isles and the coastlands to the west. That can be established from Isaiah chapter 40 or chapter 41 forward. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 43. I only have the first verse in front of me. I want more than the first verse, so I'm going to go get it out of Bible works. From the King James. But now, thus saith Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob. This isn't talking about any spiritual church, right? This is talking to the dispersed Israelites. The Israelites of the Assyrian dispersion. And he did form thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, there's only one, there's only one river and a few creeks in, in Palestine, right? They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am Yahweh thy God, the Holy One of Israel. Why, Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. He's talking about that this is a promise to the children of Israel, that Yahweh would be with them in their dispersion and that he would redeem them. For I am with thee, I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. Christ said the same thing, that many would come from the east and the west and sit with Abraham and Jacob and Isaac in the kingdom Christ is talking about the same thing that Yahweh talks about here in Isaiah 43. He's talking about the regathering of the children of Israel at his return. I will bring thy seed, your children, your ancestors, from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the end of the earth. He's talking to Jacob, and he did form thee, O Israel, for I have redeemed thee. Isaiah is not talking about anybody but the children of Israel. He's not talking about some spiritual church, as Ted Pike's going to insist at the end of this paper. 
He's talking about the dispersed children of Israel. Unbeknownst to Ted Pike, and, and this is the danger, and, and we're going to see this error later on in his paper. The biggest mistake that we have, and it leads me to argue with people all the time, the biggest mistake that we make is the oversimplification of history and the oversimplification of the identity story. And sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Now, now it's hard to encapsulate 7,000 years of history in a couple of lines. And most of the people that we talk to, they don't want to read the stuffy old books. They don't want to read the big, fat, 400-page books. That's just the way it is. Most people want the sound bite. They want it in five minutes. They want to take the pill. They, they don't want to, to do the diet. But they don't want to do the exercise. They just want to take the pill. And, and that's, the, um, that, that's the, 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 the problem with modern culture, right? So people tend to oversimplify even the identity story. And we're going to see Ted Pike oversimplify that here. And it always leads us to trouble. It leads us to trouble because a lot of people, in, even in identity, you'll hear them make the mistake that the Israelites are only the people that descended from the Assyrian deportations. I've seen people in identity who are obviously otherwise intelligent people think that the Greeks and the Romans descended from the Israelites to the Assyrian deportations and tried to push the founding of Greece and Rome up after the time of, of, of the Assyrian conquest of Israel for that reason, because they're, that, they're, that they have that simple-minded view of history. And in actuality, there was a dispersion of Israel right from Egypt. And, and this is demonstrated in papers at Christagenia that the um, classical records in Trojan, Roman, Judah, classical, classical records in the Dorian and Dan and Israelite Greeks, the first dispersion of Israel was from Egypt. And according to the classics, the people in Egypt had founded cities in, 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 in what became known later as Greece and Troy. Now, there were Greeks, and, and we'll see this when we address Ted Pike's letter as we, as we continue. There were Greeks at the time of the exodus from Egypt. There were already Greeks, but they weren't Dorian Greeks, and they weren't Danon Greeks. They were Ionian Greeks. There's a difference. Greek is not a nationality. Greek describes a fairly common, but not a totally common, a fairly common language and a common culture. It doesn't describe a race. It never did. There's Ionian Greeks, there's Danian Greeks, there's Dorian Greeks, and Strabo and Diodorus Siculus and the early Greek classical writers insist on the differences between those tribes and in their dialects. And they understood that they were people of different sub-races within the white race. And in the Greek sense of the word, the word race is actually a division of the word nation. When you read the classics, you'll understand that. That a genos is actually a division of an ethnos. 
Today, we perceive it the other way around, right? We, we perceive a, a nation to be a subdivision of a race. But that's because we understand that all of the European nations basically came from the same race. Where in ancient times, when they first started making those distinctions, it wasn't so. It was the other way around. The Greeks always divided themselves up into four or even five major groups and dialects. Aeolians, the Aeolians, the, the, the Danans, the, the, um, the Ionians, and the Dorians. And they listed their dialects accordingly. And they made their mythology and, and their that their um that their poems which claim descent from the gods accordingly. So yes, there were Greeks before the Exodus, but they weren't Israelite Greeks because they weren't Danans and they weren't Dorians. Rather they were Argives, they were Athenians, they were Ionians, they were Pelasgians. Pike wants to lump them all up together and claim they were Greek. Well, we'll see him do that shortly. Let's read Jeremiah 31. Ted Pike says that the um, God's judgment was always portrayed on the northern ten tribes as irremediable. In other words, it can't be remedied, right? And he calls it conclusive. Let's see what Jeremiah says about it. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh. Now, Jeremiah wrote about 600. Let's, let, let's call it from 620 to, to 586, right off the top of my head, it might be 630 to 586 B.C. That's when Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah wrote over 100 years after the dispersions of the ten northern tribes. And Jeremiah wrote this, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, which one of those houses includes the ten northern tribes? Somebody should ask Ted Pike that. Ted Pike obviously didn't read his Bible. He's a piker. He couldn't have read his Bible, or he wouldn't be able to make such an insipid remark. Let's see what Jeremiah says in chapter 30. In Jeremiah chapter 30, the Jews aren't dispersed yet. There's no Babylonian captivity yet. Jeremiah chapter 30, where he makes this statement, has to be talking about the ten northern tribes. And Yahweh says at Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. That is talking about the northern ten tribes. It can't be talking about the people of the Babylonian captivity because they're not in captivity yet. This says, I will make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered thee. Past tense. It's talking about those ten tribes and Ted Pike says that their separation from God is without remedy. I think Ted Pike is a liar. His Website shouldn't be called truthtellers.org. It should be called lietellers.org. He'd probably get more hits. 
Jeremiah 46, 28, we see a second witness where it says, Fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith Yahweh, for I am with thee. For I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven thee. That's talking about those people of the northern dispersions. But I will not make a full end of thee, but correct thee in measure, yet I will not leave thee wholly unpunished. There is a remedy for the people of the Assyrian dispersions of Israel. We've just seen three witnesses in Jeremiah, one witness in Isaiah, and then we have Hosea. Hosea is also addressing those ten northern tribes. The entire prophecy of Hosea addresses the ten northern tribes. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Yahweh's talking about the two sisters, Israel and Judah. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her in reference to the children of Israel. Let me bring up Hosea chapter 2. Say unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. This is talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking to the ten northern tribes. It's not talking to Judah. And it sure as hell isn't talking to Jews. In Hosea 2.14, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Accor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as the days of her youth and as in the day she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith Yahweh, thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt no more call me Bali. It's the ten northern tribes that had turned to Baal worship. For I will take the, away the names of Balim out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. Now, if the Jews are the children of Judah, they've always been called by that name. If we take that for granted. Ted Pike would take that for granted that it's true. So this can't be talking to them. For they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. The separation of the lost sheep, the separation of the ten tribes, the separation of the people of the Assyrian captivity that Hosea was talking about is not without remedy. Ted Pike is a liar, or God is a liar. Paul says, let God be true, and every man a liar. Ted Pike, he's a liar. I might lie also, but Ted Pike, he's a liar. 
his words, which he insists upon, are absolutely contrary to Scripture. Yahweh says, I will betroth thee unto me forever, referring to the children of Israel that Hosea is writing about, who are going off into those Assyrian captivities. That's what the entire prophecy of Hosea is about. Israel the whore. That's why Hosea was told to marry a whore and have children so that they could allegorically represent Yahweh's children, the children of Israel. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know Yahweh, and it shall come to pass in that day. Hosea 2.21 I will hear, saith Yahweh, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel, and I will sow her, meaning Israel, unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. In other words, Yahweh would have mercy upon the nation, the children of Israel, that did not obtain that mercy in the Assyrian deportations that Hosea is writing about. And I will say unto them which were not my people, thou art my people. Ted Pike, you're a liar. There is a remedy. Yahweh expresses it in the prophets. It's in Jeremiah. It's in Isaiah. It's in Hosea. I will say unto them, which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. Ted Pike continues on, and, and we're going to address his history now, his very poor sense of history. And Ted Pike says, this was a period relatively late, he's referring to those Assyrian deportations, and he's right in this first part, relatively late in the creation of modern Europe. Then he goes on to say, the populations of Gaul, Iberia, Spain, Germany, Britain, well, Iberia, and he means Spain in brackets, they're his brackets, Germany, Britain, and Scandinavia already numbered in the multiple tens of millions. Is that true? It's partially true. It's true of Iberia and Gaul and Britain. But it's not entirely true of Germany and Scandinavia. Pike goes on to say, it is estimated by archaeologists that the, by the first century BC, Britain alone contained three or four million. In fact, as early as 1800 BC, the Greeks and Etruscans had already occupied Mediterranean lands and islands in response to an already densely populated, occupied Northern Europe. Let's see if this is true. The estimates by archaeologists that Britain already contained three or four million people, in other words, by the time of the Assyrian deportations, they can be contested, and those estimates often are contested by archaeologists. The bodies are missing. There aren't enough bodies. There aren't enough ancient graves to allow for populations so high. It's conjectured by archaeologists that by 700 B.C., Britain may have had 3 to 4 million people. Did Britain have a lot of people at that time? Yes, they absolutely did. How did those people get to Britain by that time? Well, if we open up the Greek classics, we can read that for a thousand years, 
by the time of the first century, by Tacitus's time or by Strabo's time, the Phoenicians had been mining tin in Britain. Imagine that. Where did the Britons come from? In the Roman records, the people of London were said to have come from Rome. Now, that may be fanciful. However, all of the Roman records state that. It can be found in Virgil's, the Ahenid in Virgil. The whole story is told. The Romans saw a link to the British people in their own ancient history. Whether it's true or not is immaterial. The Greeks wrote, and many Greek classical historians wrote, at length about the Phoenician settlements in Britain, the tin trade that the Phoenicians had carried on outside of the Pillars of Hercules. The Phoenicians had been settling the coasts of Scandinavia and Britain and Ireland for a thousand years before the dawn of the Roman Empire. That's attested to by oh so many classical historians. The Iberians, they are also, for the most part, Phoenicians. And yes, there may have been a million of them. There may have been three million of them. It doesn't matter. We know where they came from. The classical histories tell us where they came from. We see the links not only in the etymologies and the names and in the language. We see the links in the archaeology. The Amesbury Archer, for instance, the Amesbury Archer was equipped with accoutrements that would not be out of place in ancient Egypt or in ancient Phoenicia. That could be seen in Werner Kelly's The Bible is History. The Bible is History. I think his last name is Kelly. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Comparing the archaeological findings to the Amesbury Archer. There's a, a lot of evidence linking ancient Britain and Gaul and Iberia to the Phoenicians and to the Near East. We see the general movements of people in the ancient Mediterranean world from east to west. For instance, the oldest Greek classics tell us and this is in Strabo, it's in papers on Christogeny or in my historical essays, the ancient Greeks tell us that the Minoans had founded settlements in Italy and in, and, and in what today is known as Gaul. The Phocian Greeks, the Phocian Greeks are Ionians. They founded Marseille in France. We see all throughout the ancient classics an east to west migration pattern and when those migrations are occurring, the people migrating have no resistance. There's nobody in Western Europe. There's nobody along the Danube River. There's nobody around the Black Sea to resist Greek and Phoenician expansion in those directions. There's no indication whatsoever in any of the ancient classical records that the Greeks and the Phoenicians had any resistance whatsoever when they expanded their empires to the north and to the west from the Mediterranean. You won't find it. You won't find it because it wasn't there. It wasn't there 
because there were no significant peoples in those regions until the Greeks and the Phoenicians got there. And the people in those regions descended from Greek and Phoenician colonists. Pike goes on to say that, in fact, by as early as 1800 BC, the Greeks and Etruscans had already occupied Mediterranean lands and islands, and he says this, in response to an already densely occupied northern Europe. That is a lie. That's an absolute lie. Yes, there were people in northern Europe at diverse times. There were mound builders all the way to Scandinavia, for instance. But those people never left any lasting, durable civilization behind. Now the people of the Gulf Stream nations, Britain, Ireland, the warmer climates in Iberia, the Norse of Gaul, they descended from the Phoenicians, and they did have a lasting civilization there for quite some time. But those climates are a lot more temperate than the Germanic inland. They're a lot more temperate than Central Europe, where the cold is unbearable. Strabo, Diodorus Siculus, they both attested that the Europe of their time, the first century BC, was uninhabitable north of the Danube because of the cold. 450 BC, Herodotus describes settlements of the Malaysians and settlements of the Ionians, namely the Phokian Greeks who are Ionians. He describes their settlements up and down the Danube River and around the Black Sea. Herodotus says that Europe north of the Danube in his time, 450 B.C., was practically uninhabited. He talks about colonists from the Medes. He talks about the Siganahi, a tribe which were colonists of the Medes, being the only tribe that he saw north of the Danube. And he was there. All of the Greek records, if we go back to 1800 B.C., if we go back to the earliest accounts of Strabo, Diodorus Siculus, and all the Greek classical historians, they show a migration pattern from the islands of the Mediterranean, from the coastlands of the Mediterranean, to the mainland and into northern Europe. They show a migration pattern from Greece, what we know as Greece today, and, and Anatolia, to the Black Sea coasts, to the Danube River Valley. And they never show any resistance to those migrations. Never. There's never any big, mean, tough Germanic tribes standing at the Danube River to fight the Greeks off. No, there's not. And I'm talking about 1,000 B.C. Because there aren't any Germanic tribes. That's why. The Malaysians, the Phokians, they made their settlements virtually unopposed. Herodotus says in 450 B.C. that above the Danube was virtually uninhabited. 
we could come to Lizzie from there. The Gauls, the Galatahi, as they're called by the Greek writers from the 5th century. Now, before the 5th century, the Greek writers referred to the Chimerians, and they referred to the Sakans. And the Chimerians and the Sakans came from Asia, and they migrated into Europe. And that could be told from all the Greek classics. The Gauls invade Rome in 390 B.C., Writing of a period, and I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote from Livy, the History of Rome, books five through seven. This is from the Loeb Classical Library, published by Harvard. This was translated by B. O. Foster. This translation was done. In the early 1900s, I don't have the introduction in front of me. I see citations as early as 1907, 1910. Most of these Loeb Classical Library books were done rather early. This one may have been just a little bit later. B.O. Foster, he certainly has no axe to grind. And his translator's preface is undated. Some of the Loeb Library authors had dated their translations, but it's not that important anyway. This was certainly done in the early opening years of the 19th, of the 20th century, I'm sorry. And I'm going to quote from Livy, Book 5, translated from B.O. Foster. He's writing of a period, and he says it in a marginal note here, which is circa 397 B.C., right? And Livy says, while this was going on, the Etruscans met in council at the fane of Valtumna, where the Capenates and the Feliscans, various um, Italian tribes, most of the Italian tribes were actually Greek, by all records, they were Etruscans and Greeks and Latins or Romans. Where the Capenates and Feliscans proposed that all the nations of Etruria, now Etruria is the land of the Etruscans, it's also called in later times Tyrrhenia, should unite in a common resolution and design to raise the siege of Veii, a war with the Romans, right? The council made answer that they had before refused the Vayanets, this request, on the ground that they had no right to ask help from those whom they had not cared to look to for advice in such a weighty manner. Just then, however, this is important. Just then, however, the plight of their country itself denied the petition. This is talking about Etruria, which is in the north of Italy. It's the district which lay north of Rome. There was now the greatest part, there was now in the greatest part of Etruria a strange race, new settlers, with whom they were neither securely at peace nor certain to have war. In 397 BC, Livy is referring to the Gauls as a strange race and new settlers as they began to encroach on the territory of the Etruscans. 
we'll keep that in mind as we proceed with Pike's paper. There were basically no Germans, and there were no Gauls. There were people in what we know as France today. They were Phoenicians. They were Malaysians. They were Ionians. They had settled the coasts of France and Iberia. They expanded west from Greece, from northern Africa, from Carthage, from Palestine, because the Phoenicians of history are indeed the Israelites of Tyre. That's a whole separate topic. Ted Pike will never get that one. And they had no hostility when they expanded west into Gaul and Iberia. Herodotus wrote about the Tartesians of Spain, meaning Tartessus, the Tarshish of Scripture. He wrote that the Tartesians of Spain had been there a very long time, and indeed they were. They're the Tartessus, or the Tarshish, of Genesis chapter 10, just like the Ionians, or the Javan, of Genesis chapter 10. And those Japhethite tribes were in Europe long before the Israelites, there's no doubt. And there may have been millions of people. The Thracians were in Europe long before the Israelites, north of Greece, south of the Danube, next to the Black Sea. The Thracians, the Ionians, the Lydians of Anatolia, by all accounts, by all historical accounts, the Etruscans themselves came from the Lydians of Anatolia. We see that westward, westward migration of our people into Europe. It's in at least half a dozen major Greek classics that the Etruscans were colonists of the Lydians in Anatolia. I'll bet I could cite six Greek authors on that. Ancient Greek authors. And they all agree on that. In all the classics, the Romans came from Troy. We see again a, westward, a westward migration, not a southward migration. Because the Greeks said that above the Danube, it was simply too damned cold to live. Nobody wanted to live north of the Danube. The later Germanic tribes of history were always pushing south of the Danube and trying to get west of the Rhine. Caesar complained about the invading Germanic tribes pushing west of the Rhine. It was miserable north of the Danube. Herodotus said it was empty. There's a good reason for it. As the Germanic tribes came from Asia, they had no choice but to stay north of the Danube because they couldn't invade the empire, because they couldn't defeat the Romans. It took them 600 years, 700 years, and they finally did it. And as many as possible poured south of the Danube. They simply weren't there before that. We see Greeks and Romans and Phoenicians migrating from the east to the west, 
from the south to the north throughout all the classics. And they all came from ancient Palestine, from ancient Anatolia, from ancient Mesopotamia. Ted Pike doesn't have a clue. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 19, where Yahweh is talking about the dispersions of the children of Israel. He's talking about the people of the Assyrian dispersions. The text establishes that beyond all doubt. And Isaiah 66, 19 says, And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them, meaning those who escape of the Israelites of the Assyrian deportations, those Israelites who could escape the Assyrians. And I will set those that escape of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Tarshish, Pul and Lud that draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory. Now in 390 BC, we have Livy telling us that a people who were new, a race that was strange suddenly began encroaching on the territory of the Etruscans in northern Italy. Where did those people come from? Those people, who the Greeks called Galatahi, who the Romans called Gauls, were, before the 5th century, called Sakins and Chimerians by the Greeks. That's very clear in all the classics. They were called Sakins and Chimerians, and suddenly they were called Galatahi and Gauls. They were these Israelites, who Yahweh said he would send to Tarshish. The children of Israel get deported. The deportations end around 676 B.C. And 200 years later, 300 years later, they're showing up in the land of the Etruscans. They're showing up in Iberia, as Celts, as Gauls and Celts. They're showing up in Italy and encroaching on the lands of the Etrurians. They're going to exactly those places where Yahweh said that he would send the children of Israel in Isaiah 66, 19. That's the exact same places. Tarshish, Pol, Lud, Tubal, Javan, Tubal lived on the shores of the Black Sea at the time. Javan is the Ionian Greeks. Yes, the Gauls in the second century, in the third century BC, invaded the land of Javan. They invaded Ionia. They invaded Greece. They sacked the temples. The Germanic people are the people of Isaiah 66:19. There's no doubt. They invaded Europe, starting from the Chimerians of about 600 B.C. There were no Germans before 600 B.C. There were people in what we know today as Germany. Those people weren't Germans. Those people were Phoenicians. Those people were Malaysians. They settled the Danube River Valley. Those people were Phokian Greeks. That's why there's so many Greek names in those regions. And that's according to the ancient classics. 
Pike goes on to say, Yet these immigrants, identity tells us, although descended in, from deported Hebrews whose population at the time of the Babylonian exile probably numbered no more than several million, were able within a few centuries to genetically transform Western Europeans into a predominantly Semitic population. That's where the problem is with Christian identity when we oversimplify history. Pike is mocking Christian identity and he's able to mock it because Christian identity teachers very often oversimplify history. So it's not all Pike's fault, even though he's being silly here. It's not all his fault. In truth, the Danning Greeks are Israelites. They came from Egypt, and they went to Greece, and they did it by 1500 B.C. In truth, the Dorian Greeks are Israelites. They came to, through Crete, according to Homer, from Dor, they came into Greece about 1100 B.C. These are dispersed Israelites, but they came long before the Assyrian deportations. The Romans are Israelites. They came from the Trojans. The Trojans, it can be established, were Israelites who left Egypt and settled in Troy by 1500 B.C. The Phoenicians are Israelites. The golden age of Phoenicia is the same exact time as the kingdom years, the judges period, and the kingdom years of the people of Israel. It can be established from the classics that most of the colonies that were known as Phoenicians came from Tyre. Tyre, it could be established in scripture, was an Israelite city. Beyond doubt, even if Hiram was a separate king. So we see Israelites, by the hundreds of thousands and possibly by the millions, throughout Europe, mixed in with the Japhethite tribes, long before the Assyrian deportations. But that, we often, in Christian identity, we often see oversimplified and not properly explained. So Ted Pike is ready to um, take stabs at the story. But that doesn't make the story false. Ted Pike simply has no understanding at all of history. The Semitic population, Semites are white. And Japhethites are also white. Because all of Noah's true descendants are white. And we'll see Ted Pike make an error in that area shortly. Pike goes on to say, Roman historians and geographers, now this is important because he's admitting with his own mouth what we know, but he doesn't know he's admitting it. Roman historians and geographers were well aware of the nations to their north. Yeah, they were. There were no nations to their north. They admitted up until the time of Herodotus in 450 BC that there were no nations to their north. Rome built roads and aqueducts through their territories from Spain to Britain to Germany. This occurred only a few centuries after the alleged invasion of Israelites from the east. Nowhere do they describe this great migration, least of all, one of such magnitude that it remade the genetics of Western Europe. This great mi migration, this great migration is described all over the Greek and Roman classics. 
there's a series of eight essays at Christogenia on Scythian and Germanic origins. I would challenge Ted Pike to demonstrate that the conclusions they reach are wrong after he reads the evidence. Livy, as I just read, Livy, the Roman historian, Ted Pike's quoting Roman historians, called the invading Gauls of 397 B.C. a strange and new people to the Romans. Ted Pike says, Roman historians and geographers were well aware of the nations to their north. Right, Pike. And Livy said that these people were new and strange. He had never seen the Gauls. Rome had never seen the Gauls before 397 B.C., according to the Roman historians that Ted Pike thinks he's quoting. But I've got the citations. Ted Pike only has conjecture. Ted Pike only has wishful thinking. The Gauls are brand new. They're a strange race, as Livy calls them, to the Romans before 397 B.C. Where'd they come from? They are the Galatahi. They are the Sakans, by all Greek accounts, who came from Asia. They are the children of the dispersions of Israel. They are the people of Isaiah 66, 19. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them to the nations, to Tarshish, Spain, to Pol and Lud. Pol is a word the Assyrian king of the time was named Pol. It's right in Chronicles. You could look it up. And Lud, Lud, Genesis chapter 10, the Shemitic Lud, the Lydians of Anatolia, the Etruscans, who were threatened by the Gauls in 397 B.C., they are Lud. They came from Lydia by all accounts in the classical records. To Tubal, Tubal at the time, if we look at Strabo or Herodotus, the people of Tubal, and we see them in Genesis 10, they dwelt on the Black Sea, and we see later, after the Assyrian deportations of Israel, that the Scythians and the Galatahi appear on the shores of that Black Sea. And Javan, the Ionian Greeks, the Persians called them Yavana in all the inscriptions. Where you see Javan in your Old Testament, the references to the Ionian Greeks, without doubt. To the isles afar off that have not heard of my fame, neither have they seen my glory. Take classical history. Put it together with the simple statements of the prophets. Believe the statements of the prophets for what they say. And Christian identity is absolutely true. Ted Pike goes on to say, and I quote, Genetic evidence disproves identity. Inhabitants of Western European nations claimed by identity to be Israelites have undergone exhaustive genetic testing and research for more than a century. Their genome is overwhelmingly Japhetic and Aryan. Ted Pike, I challenge you to pull the, the DNA of Japheth, the biblical patriarch. Pull his DNA out of, out of your pocket and show me what it looked like. 
You don't have a clue. All of the clowns that claim that DNA and genetic sciences disprove identity are those same clowns who would believe that the Jews and the Arabs are Semites. If you want to believe that the Jews and the Arabs are Semites, then of course you can't believe Christian identity. But the Jews aren't Semites, they're Edomites. Esau took Canaanite wives. Esau took Ishmaelite wives. It can be established that the Jews are. The, the people that came out of Judea after the 2nd century AD, after the Bar Kokhba rebellion, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, those people are primarily Edomites. And they're all mixed. And they've mixed with just about every race they've visited the last 2,000 years. They've been to Arabia. They've been to Khazaria. They've been to India. They've been to Algeria. They've mixed with blacks. They've mixed with whites. They've mixed with purple people. They've mixed with green people. The Jews have mixed. If you take the world's DNA and put it in a blender and pour it out, you'll end up with a Jew because they've been everywhere and they've mixed with everybody. The word Arab is a Hebrew word. The word Arab, it means mixed. What does Arab mean in Hebrew? It means to grow dark. How do people grow dark? Well, you shouldn't have to figure that one out. It was used of things that were mixed like seed. The word Arab is a word that means mixed. When you go back to the Exodus and you look at where it says in the King James that a mixed multitude followed the children of Israel out of Egypt, and you look at the Strong's number for that word mixed in the phrase mixed multitude, you'll find the word Arab, because Arab means mixed. If somebody's mixed, how the hell can you assume that their DNA is unique and real and original? Of course you can't. The DNA scientists are all liars. None of them know a damn thing about history, the Bible, or the classics. You can't take for granted that modern populations are the same as ancient populations. People move. There are definite recorded mass movements of people all throughout ancient Palestine and the Middle East and the Near East, all throughout history from the time of the fallen Rome, fall of Rome, through the Islamic conquests, through the time when the Turks, who came from Asia, had overrun the entire area, and the Mongols overran the entire area, and the Arabs had brought slaves out of Africa for a thousand years and married them. You can't assume that they're Semites. That's just crazy. That shows a complete ignorance of history, an incredibly complete ignorance of history. Pike goes on to say, many identity Christians are enthralled by God's majestic power to preserve his chosen race. They marvel that he brought so many Israelites to America, where they believe our nation provides the final bulwark against the forces of evil. Well, 
That is believed in many Christian Israel circles. I'm not going to doubt it. But God tells us that he will indeed preserve his chosen race. Many Christian, what, what does Pike say here? Many identity Christians are enthralled by God's majestic power to preserve his chosen race. That's what Pike says. Well, let's read Isaiah 49.7. Let's see God's majestic power to preserve his chosen race. Thus saith Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall also worship, because of Yahweh that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. This is long after the Assyrian dispersions of the Israelites. Thus saith Yahweh, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee. Ted Pike says, <laughs> what a clown. Ted Pike says, many identity Christians are enthralled by God's majestic power to preserve his chosen race. God says to Israel, I shall choose thee. I shall preserve thee. Ted Pike is scoffing at the Bible. This clown thinks he's a Christian and he's scoffing at the Bible. He's scoffing at Isaiah chapter 49. Christians should damned well be enthralled that our God has the ability to preserve our race. Because we sure as hell don't have the ability to, per to preserve it. If it weren't for God, we wouldn't even be here. Ted Pike scoffing at scripture. That's absolutely amazing. This clown calls himself a Christian. And people believe him. Isaiah 49.8 Thus saith Yahweh, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. He's talking about Israel. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. The people of Israel shall establish the earth and cause to inherit the desolate heritages. The last time I saw my the, the the last time I looked at reality I didn't see any negroes or any Jews or any Latin American squat monsters who were able to make the deserts bloom. None of those people have ever built civilizations. To continue with Isaiah 49:9 that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. These are references to the people of the captivity, the Israelites of the captivity. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all the high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that has mercy on them, their sin is not without remedy. 
For he that has mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from afar, the children of Israel. These from the north, the children of Israel, as we read in Isaiah 43.3. And from the west, and these from the land of Sinim, which represents the south. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For Yahweh has comforted who? Gentiles? Maybe spiritual Israel? Maybe some church? No. Yahweh has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Identity Christians believe their Bible. Ted Pike demeans them as racists. Ted Pike is an antichrist. Christ said, I have come unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Christ said, he was not with me, is against me. Ted Pike says, oh God, you're wrong. He scoffs at identity Christians because they believe that God can keep his word. Ted Pike scoffs at us. We believe, Isaiah. Ted Pike scoffs at us. I know my history. I know how we are the children of Israel. Ted Pike scoffs at me. Ted Pike wants to believe, okay, oh, there were already millions of people there. Well, well, yeah, well, let's talk about where they came from. I already did. Ted Pike goes on. Yet just as many, if not more, followers of identity are motivated by racism. I would say that God, being the author of race, God, demanding kind after kind, time after time, is motivated by racism. Ted Pike says, many believers in identity's two-seed line theory affirm that all non-Caucasian people are inferior and degenerate. I would say that I don't only affirm that, I believe it. I look at history, I look at the world around me. I could go to one of 10,000 white towns and probably walk down the street butt-ass naked and nobody would bother me. Somebody would probably give me clothes. Try that in Philadelphia. Try that in Detroit. Try that in any Negro city. Ted Pike would leave pregnant. Ted Pike says, many believers in identity's two-seed line theory affirm that all non-Caucasian people are inferior and degenerate the result of demonic procreation in the eons of Earth's history prior to Eden. Well, I do believe that. I believe it because I can observe it. I believe it because it's patently clear. Wherever I look at Africans, they bring an inferior, degenerate Africa with them. The tree is known by its fruit. Wherever I look at China, a Chinaman, they bring China with them. China is a disturbed place. It's a crowded, sweaty, disgusting, disease-ridden pig pen. And that's what Chinese people bring with them everywhere. That's what Indian people bring with them everywhere. That's what Latin American squat monsters bring with them everywhere. Violence, destruction, decay. They build nothing. Look at Mexico. 
Not even the Mexicans want to stay there. I also believe that because it's what the scriptures tell me. Now, maybe Eli James's watered-down version of Christian identity might be more acceptable to the pikers. But the bottom line is that only Adam is man. And the bottom line is that Yahweh our God is the author of race. So I'm going to be a racist because I seek to preserve the creation of Yahweh my God. If you're an anti-racist, where Yahweh our God demands kind after kind, the anti-racists seek to destroy that creation of Yahweh our God. It doesn't matter where you want to think the Negroes came from. If you're going to race mix with them, you're violating the law of God. And you're destroying his creation. You are in rebellion against God. God is a racist. If God wasn't a racist, the, the injunction to keep kind after kind would not appear in the Bible. If God was not a racist, race would not exist. Ted Pike goes on to say that, like the Jewish Kabbalists, they believed that Satan had sex with Eve, and an incurably evil, demonically possessed bloodline began. Well, Pike, this is close. There are actually seven or eight scriptural witnesses to it, both apocryphal and canonical. Simply because the Jews have it in their Kabbalah doesn't make it wrong. There's a lot of things in the Bible that the Jews have in the Talmud that are true. The entire Talmud is not a lie. The Talmud is a very evil book. There's no doubt. But if everything in the Talmud was a lie, then Ted Pike better throw his Bible in the trash. Well, it looks like he already has because he obviously doesn't believe Isaiah chapter 49. Pike goes on to say, this started with Cain and triumphed when the Edomites took control of Judea in the decades before Christ. Satan's Edomite followers, this viewpoint says, so displaced true Judahite followers of Yahweh that most of those referred to as Jews in the New Testament are really Edomites. There are several glaring problems with this hypothesis. Well, that's Pike's words, right? That's not mine. We'll go on. First, I would say that we oversimplify the seed of the serpent. And let me say this, and, and it's not very well um, examined in Christian identity circles. I'm going to, I, I tried to examine it a few weeks ago, and I, I had an interrupted program, and uh, I guess a, a, a poor train of concentration that evening. And, and um, I'm going to get back to this in, in the near future. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. The seed of the serpent is much wider in scope than just Cain. Let's put it that way. It has to include that entire tree. And I'll leave it at that. The seed of the serpent is much wider in scope than just Cain, and it's much wider in scope than only Edomites, since, of course, the Kenites preceded Cain by many, preceded Canaan and Esau by many centuries, and they had lots of time to spread their genes around. Back to Ted Pike. He says, first, there is no biblical or historical record that except for positions of power under the Herods. 
there were enough Edomites in the general population of probably three or four million Judeans to signify, to significantly alter its relatively pure Judaic genome. They're the words of Ted Pike, and those words are a total lie. Ted Pike has been reading far too much Talmud. Let's go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34 and 35, Yahweh portrays the Edomites as desiring to take over the nations of Israel and Judah. And I believe I go to Ezekiel chapter 35 for that. And I'm going to read Ezekiel 35.10. In Ezekiel 35.10, Yahweh is addressing the inhabitants of Mount Seir. The inhabitants of Mount Seir are, for the most part, Edomites at this time. That's very clear in the Old Testament. That should be without contest. I could prove it to Ted Pike, though, if he needs to. Addressing Mount Seir, we see Yahweh say, Because thou hast said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess it, whereas Yahweh was there. Therefore, as I live, saith Yahweh, I will do even according to thine anger, and according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of thy hatred against them. He's talking about the hatred of the Edomites against the real children of Israel. And I will make myself known among them when I have judged thee, when he finally judges Esau, which we see in Obadiah 17, right? In Antiquities, chapter 13, lines 257 and 258, and I quote, Hyrcanus, was one of the Maccabees. He was one of the Hasmonean kings. This is about one 30 to 125 B.C., right? Hyrcanus also took Dora and Marissa, cities of Edomia, and subdued all the Edomians. Now, if we actually read Josephus, we'll see that the Edomians had many cities, right? And subdued all the Edomians and permitted them to stay in that country if they would submit to circumcision and make use of the laws of the Judeans or of the Jews. And they were so desirous of living in the country of their forefathers that they submitted to the right of circumcision and of the rest of the Judean ways of living. At which time, therefore, this befell them, that they were hereafter considered to be Judeans. That's Josephus. Josephus tells us that the people in Judah, under the Hasmonean kings, conquered all the Edomites. And after that time, the Edomites were hereafter considered to be Judeans. Ted Pike says, oh, there's no biblical or historical record, except for positions of power under the Herods, that there were enough Edomites in the general population. Well, Ted Pike, I mean, here we have several cities, right? Cities filled with, teeming with Edomites. And hereafter, they're considered nothing other than Judeans. I don't think Ted Pike read Josephus. He should have read Josephus. He should have read Josephus instead of the Talmud. He probably learned something. 
When we go and, and, and read Josephus, and we read from Antiquities chapter 13, and we understand what's going on in Antiquities chapter 13 with, with, with the conversion of all the Edomites into the kingdom of Judea. From this point on in the history of, Judah, of Josephus, it's quite clear that the Edomites were always considered to be Judeans, and that the two peoples became hopelessly intertwined. The Edomians, having taken on the customs of Judea, and we can also read this in Antiquities Book 15, in lines 255 through 257, where it's attested to explicitly that all of the Edomites took on the customs of the Jews and became nothing but Jews or Judeans. Once we understand this, by actually reading Josephus rather than running our mouths about Christian identists, we can see that even Wikipedia can tell the truth about ancient Judea. I'm going to quote an article. I'm going to quote from an article on Herodokalos from Wikipedia, where it explains that Herodokalos was the ethnarch, the ethnarch, the leader of a nation, right? Of Samaria, Judea, and Edomia, the biblical Edom, from 4 BC to 6 AD. We see right there on Wikipedia that they admit that the Edomites had become part of the Judean nation. Even Wikipedia is smarter than Ted Pike. Strabo, the Greek geographer, book 16. In Strabo, book 16, Strabo explains that the Edomians and the Judeans were all mixed up together and living in Palestine. The Greeks recognized that Judea had become a multicultural, polyglot state. Strabo died in 25 AD. He had no axe to grind about religion in Palestine. From the King James Version, Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. Of course, Malachi is talking about Israel. And Malachi, talking about Israel, talks about all of Israel. And he's writing 300 years after the Assyrian deportations of Israel. Malachi is the prophet of the Second Temple period. The burden of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith Yahweh. Yet you say, why have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? That's it. That's Ted Pike for you. Ted Pike's more concerned about the Jews than he is about Israelites. He's more concerned about the Jews than he is about Christians. Yahweh loves Jacob. And the Israelites say, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? Well, the average Christian today is a hell of a lot more concerned with Esau than he is with Jacob because they don't know the difference. They think that these Jews, they think these Edomite Jews are Israel, and they're not. That's an abstract concept. That's an abstract thing going on here in Malachi, and it's hard to understand. And, and I would bet that just about everyone else who's ever read it missed the significance of it. Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? 
This is a dialogue. Saith Yahweh, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste to the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, now think about the Jews when you read this one, whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. That's who we have today in Palestine. They're crying they're impoverished all the time. They're always begging for money. The United States alone sends them about $10 billion a year in aid. They're always begging for money. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished. The glory of the word of God right there. It's so perfect, it, it, it's unreal. But we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them, the border of wickedness and the people against whom Yahweh has indignation forever. There are your Jews in Palestine, Ted Pike. And your eyes shall see and you shall say, Yahweh will be magnified from the border of Israel. Ted Pike made a comment here. The people that Christ addressed were indeed descendants of Abraham, and Ted Pike misses the whole point. Pike goes on to say, and I quote, Christ said those Pharisees whom identity portrays as Edomites were, in fact, pedigree descendants from Abraham. He said, and he did, it's in John 8, 837, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. But Ted misses something there. Ted misses the fact that the Edomites were Abraham's seed. He didn't say they were pedigreed. They were offspring of Abraham. That word seed simply means offspring. Christ was agreeing with them that they were offspring of Abraham. And they were. And John the Baptist said, well, Yahweh could raise up offspring or seed to Abraham from these stones. And John the Baptist said that. And I'm sure he had a couple of red stones in his hand. Right out of the River Jordan. And yes, Yahweh could raise up seed to Abraham from stones. What Ted Pike misses is that that wouldn't make them children of the covenant. That wouldn't make them children of Israel. And here, the Pharisees would sought to kill Christ. Yeah, they were the seed of Abraham. They were to see to Abraham, but they were descendants of Esau. They were not descendants of Jacob. They were Edomites. Ted Pike throws the word pedigree in there. That's an addition to Scripture. That's not what Christ is saying. Ted Pike goes on to say, Throughout the New Testament, there is no record of a massive infusion of Edomite genes in the Judean population. The Pharisees and those who rejected Jesus are, without question, referred to as the Jews, not Edomites. And that's true. They were referred to as the Jews. They were referred to in Greek as the Judeans, right? And that alone demonstrates that the term Judeans at the time was a word used to describe 
the citizens of the Roman political district of Judea. We have to understand the language of the New Testament as the words were used when the book was written. The word Judean described a citizen of the Roman political district of Judea. It did not describe someone of the race of the tribe of Judah. The word became a, geolog a, a geographical term distinct from the tribal idea. The distinction between members of the tribe of Judah and the Edomites was a distinction that had been lost for many generations by the time of Christ. The word was not used to describe people of the time of Judah. It could be of the tribe of Judah. That could be proven real easy. Because Paul calls himself a Judean. Paul calls himself a Judean, but tells us he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Imagine that. How could he be a Judean and be of the tribe of Benjamin? Easy. Because the designation Judean in the first century had not anything to do with tribe. It had to do with politics. It's very easy. It's like being called an American. Well, of course, in 1783, if you were called an American, it's pretty safe that you were a white man. It's a pretty safe bet that the term was used to describe a white man. Today, it could describe just about any sort of squat monster. The term is used so loosely. So the language of the New Testament proves that the word was a nationalist term. It, it was a term describing a political unit, a geographical political unit designated by the Romans as the province of Judea. And that's how they used the term. Revelation 2.9. Pike says there's no evidence in the New Testament that there was any large infusion of Edomite genes into the Judean population. Revelation 2.9, Yahweh addresses the assembly at Smyrna. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Judeans and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan something which Yahshua, in his revelation, repeats in chapter 3 at verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Judeans and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. From Revelation 2.9 and 3.9 alone, we see that there were definitely a significant number of people pretending to be Judeans who were not. There are many other references to this in Scripture. John, in his epistle, says that they came out from us, but they were not of us. Christ 
in Luke chapter 11 says that the blood of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah would be laid on the shoulders of certain people in Judea. And the only people who could be held responsible for the blood of Abel have to be the descendants of Cain. The descendants of Seth could never be held responsible for the blood of Abel. They had to be the descendants of Cain. The Kenites mixed with the Canaanites and the Rephaim in the land of Canaan, Genesis chapter 15. The Edomites. Esau took Canaanite wives, Genesis chapter 34, I believe, or maybe 36. There's a very clear line from Cain down through the Canaanites, down through the Edomites, to Judea of the time of Christ. And there certainly is a significant number of Judeans at the time of Christ who are of Edomite stock and not of the stock of Judah. Pike says, yet identity followers insist anything resembling a pure Jew was, at the least, rare in Palestine during the time of Jesus, during the Edomite following, the Edomite takeover. They want to believe this for an important reason. They think it displaces Jews of today from any claim to the patrimony of Abraham. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Pike. The fact that they reject Christ displaces them from the patrimony of Abraham. You don't even get that part. Instead, they assert Edomite Jews are children of their father, the devil, descendants of Cain. Well, isn't that exactly what Christ said in John chapter 8? Isn't that exactly what Christ said in Luke chapter 11? Thus, Jews are so intrinsically evil as to be outside of Christian evangelism. Such counterfeit Jews being the offspring of Satan himself cannot be saved no matter how hard they try. Isn't that what Christ said in Revelation 2.9 and 3.9? It's hard to imagine a viewpoint more unscriptural, even hateful. It's pure anti-Semitism. That's Ted Pike's words. Doesn't John the Evangelist, the Apostle John, doesn't he say, that those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, they are the Antichrist? Ted Pike is defending the Antichrist in his assault on Christian identity. That's exactly what he's doing. He's defending the Antichrist. From John chapter 10, verse 25. Yahshua replied to them, I have spoken to you, and you do not believe. The works which I do in the name of my Father, these things testify concerning me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. This is real simple. The Catholic Church would teach, and the mainstream Protestant denominations of today, and evidently Ted Pike also would teach, that they weren't his sheep because they didn't believe him. But that's not what Christ is telling them. Christ tells them, and I'll reiterate John 10, 26, 
but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Ted Pike would say, oh, they're his sheep. They're his people. The Jews are God's people. No, they're not. Christ said, no, they're not. Christ said, you do not believe because you are not my sheep, period. They weren't his people. They weren't the children of Israel. They were the children of Esau. Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life, that they are not lost forever. And one shall not snatch them from my hand. Jesus Christ says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And Ted Pike says, oh, they're God's chosen people. Ted Pike is a liar. If it's Christ against Pike, I'll pick Christ any day. Pike goes on to say that even if the Edomites genetically dominated Judah, Judah was not the population center of world Jewry 2,000 years ago. Babylon was. Well, I got news for you, Pike. The Edomites genetically dominated Babylon, too. Only about one-tenth of Jews who were exiled to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar returned under Ezra and Nehemiah. That part is true. Even in Christ's time, Judah was largely a spiritual, not a population center of Judaism. And that's true to an extent. The portion of Judah which was exiled to Babylon was only a small portion of Judah overall. Most of Judah, 46 fenced cities, had been taken away long before Nebuchadnezzar by the Assyrians. But none of those people were ever known as Jews. And simply because there were a whole lot of people in Babylon who were from the deportations of the Babylonians 500 years earlier, or actually 620 years earlier than the crucifixion, roughly, that doesn't make what's going on in Judea any different. It doesn't affect it at all. It doesn't affect Christian identity assertions over the history of Judea in the first century at all. It has no effect on what we say about the history of Judea in the first century, simply because there's a lot more Judeans in Babylon. That's a moot point. Pike goes on to say that the vast majority of authentic descendants of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, certainly uncontaminated by Edomite genes, he says, and I would agree that there were a lot of Israelites in Israel uncontaminated by Edomite genes, but he's saying that they lived in Babylon for 1,600 years. Therefore, when millions of such genetically authentic Jews were expelled to the West in the beginning of the 11th century AD, they brought with them to North Africa, Spain, Europe, etc., authentic claims to being the physical descendants of Abraham. Is that true? That's not true, Ted Pike. You're assuming. You're, you're making assumptions that you can't demonstrate. The people that were taken in captivity to Babylon in the 5th century, you're making assumptions about that you can't demonstrate. Because Jeremiah saw two baskets of Judahite figs in Jeremiah chapter 24. He saw good figs and he saw bad figs. He told us that the good figs would return 
and be built up. He told us that the bad figs would be scattered into all nations for a reproach, a taunt, and a proverb. Jeremiah chapter 24. Therefore, Ted Pike evidently hasn't read Jeremiah chapter 24, and if he has, he's denying it. In Jeremiah chapter 2, where Jeremiah is addressing the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jeremiah asks, well, Yahweh asks through the prophet, how he planted a pleasant plant, but it became a strange vine unto him. And that can only be done through race mixing. How, although the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I'm paraphrasing, washed themselves with much soap, their iniquity is still marked before Yahweh. They can't possibly be cleansed. And that can only occur to race mixing. Ezekiel chapter 16, addressing those same inhabitants of Jerusalem, the prophet says that they were of the stock of the Hittites in Ezekiel chapter 16. Thy mother was an Amorite, I think it says. I'm, I'm going to go look it up right now. I don't have it in front of me. Most of this has been extemporaneous. I'm sorry for that. I didn't have much time to prepare. But I could address Ted Pike, that's for sure. Ezekiel 16.4, addressing the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. Neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Ezekiel 16.3, And say, thus saith Yahweh God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother a Hittite. He's talking to the people of Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 2, Yahweh God says he planted a pleasant plant. The pleasant plant was Judah. How hast thou become a strange vine unto thee? The strange vine was because Judah mixed with the Canaanites. Malachi chapter 2 says... Judah has married the daughter of a strange god. Many people from the tribe of Judah mingled with the Canaanites. Susanna, the story of Susanna. Daniel, in the Septuagint Apocrypha. Daniel exposes two priests of Judah in Babylon. He exposes them because they wanted to corrupt a young woman. And Daniel tells them that they're of the seed of Canaan and not of Judah. Ted Pike is trying to tell us that all these people in Babylon were good figs. Yahweh says that they're good figs and they're bad figs. Yahweh says the good figs would return and that he would build them up. They're the people of the return of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's exactly when that happened. Ted Pike says that those bad figs that were left behind, that were going to be driven into all nations for a taunt and a reproach and a curse, Ted Pike says that they're God's chosen people. Ted Pike is defending the devil. 
Ted Pike says, it displeases identity followers to hear that authentic Jewish stock still exists. No, Pike, it doesn't displease me. I'd be thrilled if some of my Judahite brethren had made it through all those generations of race mixing all around them. Somehow I just know it didn't happen. Because they were bad figs. They were bad figs who were to be a taunt and a reproach and persecuted in every nation. That's what Jeremiah says. And that's what Christ says of those same people who rejected him in Luke chapter 20. Pike says, albeit only as a minority in proportion to the Khazar Ashkenazim, to quote Pike, or to continue quoting Pike, he says, the Ashkenazim, or Eastern European Jews, are largely descended from the kingdom of the Khazars, converted to Judaism in about the 8th century AD. Instead, they want, they meaning Christian identity people, want to believe that the true Israelite bloodline was preserved in the lost ten tribes and then passed on to Western Europeans. They want to believe that such racially pure European Israelites were led by the Almighty to come to America fulfilling a staggeringly important role reestablishing the true people of Israel and God's kingdom on earth. And I must say that while Ted Pike does not see it, that's exactly what happened. And while the settlers of America were no more Israelites than those of their kindred, who went elsewhere, or who stayed behind in Europe. America certainly is the nation described in Micah chapter 4. And I'm going to read the first few verses of Micah 4. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the hills, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations, not just Jews, and many nations shall come and say, Come. And let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh into the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. You can't say that about Palestine today. Palestine, the parasite state. This can't be spoken about Palestine today. This has to describe America. It's the only nation that was ever founded in this manner. For the law shall go forth of Zion. And the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem, Zion and Jerusalem being allegorical for his people, the mountain of Israel, and for their seat of government. It doesn't refer to the physical Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah chapter 19, said that the city Jerusalem would be smashed and never put together again. It can't refer to the city of Jerusalem. Micah chapter 4 is describing America. To quote Ted Pike, Genesis 22.18 says that in Abraham's seed, all nations will be blessed. Identity, along with Zenist evangelicals and Jewish Zenists, incorrectly interpret seed to mean the racial posterity of Abraham. That's what it means. That's what seed means. In Abraham's seed, all the nations will be blessed. All the Genesis 10 white Adamic nations. In fact, Yahweh told Abraham that kings would come from his loins. That nations would come out of him. 
That's what seed means. Identity believes that the United States now containing the most descendants of Abraham, I don't necessarily agree with that. That's an oversimplification. That's an oversimplification of Christian identity that Pike's addressing. Fulfills a host of biblical promises of blessing. The success of America fuels identity's argument that most Americans are indeed Israelites. I would say that wherever white people go, white people are that shining city on a hill. And no man lights a lamp and puts it under a couch. God does not light a lamp and put it under a couch. God's people are fully evident in the world through their works. I don't see Negroes and yellow squat monsters and brown squat monsters accomplishing any of the things spoken about in the Bible. I certainly don't see Jews fulfilling any of the prophecies concerning the children of Israel about becoming a host of nations and being bountiful and being seafaring and making many colonies and building great civilizations and governing the world by the rule of law like the Germanic peoples have done. Jews have only been parasites who have followed the Germanic peoples around and bled them to death. That's all Jews have done, Ted Pike. The Saxon peoples have fulfilled all of the promises of Scripture over and over again, which were spoken of the children of Israel. In the Saxon peoples have all the nations of the world, both good and bad, been blessed. We've brought them all of our food technology. The Jews haven't done that. The Jews may have, sold, have stolen it at bargain basement prices and sold it to somebody else. We brought them all of our medical technology. We brought them all of our literature, all of our great works we've shared with the whole world for better or worse. The Jews haven't done that. The Jews have only been historic parasites and usurers, moneylenders, whoremasters, and gamblers, panderers, and bankers, which is right there in the same category with whoremasters and panderers. Ted Pike says, in reality, Galatians 3.16 is very specific that the prophesied seed who will bless all peoples and multiply into staggering influence is singular, Jesus Christ. Ted Pike, that's a lie. Because Paul was discussing the different seeds which came from Abraham. And he's talking about Jacob. He's not talking about Jesus Christ. Later on in Galatians, Paul quotes the promise that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Paul didn't say, in Jesus Christ shall thy seed be called. The promise to Abraham was not that in Christ shall his seed be called. The promise to Abraham was that in Isaac shall his seed be called. Paul's reference to that very prophecy in Scripture is proof that he's talking about not Christ in Galatians 3.16. He's talking about the anointed seed in Galatians 3.16. The anointed, not Jesus Christ. The word Jesus is not in the equation. 
in the Greek. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul tells us that no man can amend the covenant. In Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet tells us, and this is the only place where the new covenant is specifically prophesied in Scripture, even though it is mentioned in Ezekiel, the new covenant would be made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The actual physical genetic Israelites and the actual physical genetic Judahites. The new covenant wouldn't be made with the church. Paul in Galatians is telling us that nobody can change the terms of that covenant in order to make additions for himself. Paul is telling us that the Edomites and the Ishmaelites are excluded from the covenant, that it's only for the anointed seed, and in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That means that the children of Israel are the seed of Galatians 3.16, not Christ. Ending his paper, Ted Pike complains that identity is a religion of race. Well, so is identity is Christianity, and Christianity is a religion of race. Pike says, identity exalts the importance of race in God's agenda of redemption. Everywhere you look in Scripture where redemption is mentioned, it's connected to race. I would challenge Ted Pike to show me where redemption is not connected to race. First, the idea of redemption is to buy back something which you once possessed. Israel was Yahweh's precious possession. Israel was going to be redeemed. Redemption in the Bible, throughout all of the prophets, wherever redemption is promised, is promised only for the race, the literal children of Israel. It's not for anybody else. Redemption is only for Israel. It's kinsman redemption. The laws of kinsman redemption are spelled out in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus. They're there. Kinsman redemption. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. The idea of kinsman is connected to race. There is no redemption without the racial aspect. You have to be a man's next of kin in order to redeem his property. Therefore, Yahshua Christ, being the son of Yahweh and Yahweh come in the flesh, he can redeem Israel on behalf of Yahweh. That's kinsman redemption. There is no redemption outside of kinsman redemption in Scripture. You can't redeem the property of a stranger in Scripture. You can't redeem the property of someone who is not a kinsman in Scripture. Pike takes advantage of the general lack of knowledge of historical context in Paul's letters, where Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, if we use the same measure by which Ted Pike 
interprets the phrase, there is neither Jew nor Greek, we would have to apply that measure to the phrase, there is neither male nor female. And today, we wouldn't have distinctions between men and women. That's how Pike wants to um, interpret the words. What Paul is saying is that there's no difference between Judean Israelites and Greek Israelites. There's no difference between Israelites who are slave or Israelites who are free. There is no difference between Israelites who are male or Israelites who are female. All Israelites are one in Christ, Yahshua. How do we know that's what Paul's saying? Because Paul says, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. He's only talking about the descendants of Jacob, Israel. Take it in context. Don't take the Bible one passage at a time and make your own damn story up out of it. That's what Ted Pike has done. I'm going to um, abbreviate my address here. I think that Ted Pike's a fool. I wish, uh, and I hope that the people who asked me to address Ted Pike send him this podcast. And I hope Ted Pike listens to this podcast. And I challenge Ted Pike to come on this program and talk to me about this. And we'll see who's read their Bible. Thank you for joining me tonight. I'll be here tomorrow night. I don't know what I'm going to talk about tomorrow night. It's um, more or less up in the air. My, 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 I'm, I've been bowled over all week with technical work, and I haven't had really a whole lot of time to prepare programs. And obviously I didn't do anything to prepare tonight's program, but thank you for listening. And praise Yahweh, I'll be here tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. I'll be here next Friday at 8 p.m. with Luke chapter 10. Good night.